It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zelina Maxwell, and we are talking about saving democracy because, well, we got a week to do it. Joining us is Ezra Levin. He is the co-founder and co-executive director of Indivisible. Ezra, thank you so much for being here today. Jess, great to be here saving democracy with you. Please tell me that people are not super demoralized. Please tell me that they are still mobilized and energized and ready to do the thing in the midterms, please. Look, so I I was out uh, last week on January 6th in in Texas in the belly of the beast in many ways at a vigil uh, on the 6th for the the one year anniversary. And there were hundreds of people out there. There were hundreds of vigils all over the country for people showing up in remembrance of that day and to demand the Senate act. So, no, I'm not seeing the energy go down. Good. That is where we need it to be. Do you get the sense that all of the folks that are showing up are there because they realize the where we are and the risk that is posed to American democracy in this moment? I mean, I feel like the pandemic has exposed a lot of problems <laughs> that were always there. And a lot of people had identified those problems, particularly, particularly on the progressive side. Um, we were like systemic issues. These are a thing. Um, pandemic exposed so many of those. But do you get do you get the sense that people are showing up, you know, at a at a remembrance for um, January what happened on January sixth because they want to protect the democracy itself? Like, is that what they think is at stake? Yeah. So. From very early on in Indivisible's history, when we started asking our groups, hey, what do you want to do after we win back power? Because we're building towards having power. What do you want to do? And we started polling them in 2018, asking them this. And as you can imagine, for a a distributed movement like ours with groups in literally every congressional district, they care about everything, right? They care about the climate. They care about immigration. They care about taxes. But at the top of the list, the number one thing that the Indivisible groups always cared about was democracy itself, was democracy itself. That's what they wanted to get done. And it makes sense if you look at like who built the blue wave in 2018, who who built the margins in 2020, who was showing up at town halls saving the Affordable Care Act in 2017. It was largely people who were not politically active before Donald Trump got elected. And you could assume based on that, that this was an anti-Trump movement. But I, I think that's a that's a wrong assumption because these groups got started with, with no, no doubt because Donald Trump got elected. They got started in response to his election, but that's not what drove them. That's not what kept them involved because they understood very early on that Donald Trump was this you know, gargantuan, bulbous, bile-spewing symptom of a much deeper sickness in our society, which was we had a representative democracy that wasn't representative. And so they have been showing up specifically to save American democracy. And as soon as we won the trifecta on January 5th, we launched a campaign to reform the filibuster and and pass the voting rights bills. That's what we've been doing for over a year now. So no, they have a very clear idea what they're doing when they show up at a January 6th vigil. And it is specifically to push for filibuster reform, to pass the John Lewis VRA and pass the Freedom to Vote Act. So I'm assuming the next seven days are like the biggest, like this is the Super Bowl for you all. What what do you... 
what do you want people to be doing? Like, how can, how can people help? So a year ago, almost a year ago to the day, it was a year ago on January 8th, there was a meeting of Republican strategists. This is two days after the bloody assault on the Capitol. And it was a meeting of Mitch McConnell's staff and uh, Koch-backed organizations from across the, the conservative ecosystem. And the reason why we know this, by the way, is because Jane Mayer wrote a piece in The New Yorker based on a leaked uh, audio of the meeting. Um, so it, this wasn't a press release or something. We know it because they were secretly meeting and we got secret recordings of it. Um, and what they were discussing in that meeting was this attack on voting rights um, uh, across the country and this potential democratic response to that attack. And they were terrified about it. They were terrified that the Democrats were going to do something and change the filibuster and pass these voting bills. And their solution was not to have a big debate in public because they knew how popular these bills were. So their solution said was to use the Republican minority in the Senate to filibuster to death these bills quietly. That was their goal. And we know that from a year ago. So yeah. their goal is to kill this quietly with a filibuster. That means our goal has to be simple. We got to make some noise. So for folks listening, if you're watching from the sidelines, I hope people understand this isn't a uh, uh, this isn't just a, um, a game to watch. This is a participatory sport. So if you are wondering what you can do, whether you've got a Republican senator or an independent senator or a Democratic senator, make some noise this weekend. I'm going out to Phoenix and joining indivisible groups from across the state to a, an event that's going to be led by uh, MLK III, uh, talking about voting rights and talking about the need to save our democracy. There are events like this happening literally all over the country. If there's not one in your area, put it together, get some prints together, write an op-ed, make some noise, make the Senate know that you expect them to work for you. That's what I hope happens over the course of the next week. I think one of the most um, important parts of um, getting everybody to recognize that people are engaged in this issue is the idea that nothing, nothing is inevitable and that actually the justification put forward um, to not allow for this voting rights bill to be passed by the two white senators, because we were talking earlier about how basically what we're what we have in this particular moment is two white senators standing in the way of protecting the voting rights and civil rights of people of color. And we, we also just talked in the last segment about how that there are so um, there are such dramatic demographic shifts in the country that, you know, this, those vote that voting access is really mattering. And that is why this is happening. Um, but do you get the sense that like the senators that we know are the reason why we don't have a voting rights package passed? Do they are they hearing enough from all of these folks? Because, I mean, we know that, like, yes, we want to make sure that we're calling the people that represent us and say, like, if you are supporting voting rights, you know, great. Have you called Kirsten Cinema's day? Um, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Um, but but do you get the sense that they're hearing enough from the the two senators I'm talking about are hearing enough from those folks as well? So I'd say two things to this. First, I, I know a ton of attention um, and ink has been spilt on Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, Joe Manchin in West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema in Arizona for good reason. They've been the most vocal opponents of filibuster reform uh, or of the type of filibuster reform that many of us have been advocating for, which is just eliminating the filibuster. Um, but I do want to be clear there. 
they were not the only two senators that were opposed to this. If you talked to us a year ago, I would have had a list of a, a half a dozen to a dozen senators that we had to be focusing on everybody from uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar to Chris Coons to uh, uh, Hickenlooper and uh, Bennett in Colorado, Feinstein in, in California, Mark Warner in Virginia. And these, these names that I've just listed, one by one over the course of the last 12 or so months has come out for filibuster reform, has come out to pass these democracy bills regardless of Republican unified opposition. And the reason why they have come out is because there have been, there's been a drumbeat of pressure from grassroots activists, from academics, from their fellow senators, from, from people who know that democracy is at stake. And they have switched positions because they have seen reality and they have understood that McConnell is dead set against any sort of democracy reform. And they're on the right side. And as a result of that, not only do you now have pressure on the outside pushing these last two holdouts, cinema. Uh, in Arizona and Manchin in West Virginia, but you also now have pressure on the inside where you've got 48 Senate Democrats who in their weekly Tuesday luncheons are, are coming together and trying to convince these last two senators to, to get on board. So are these two senators getting the message? You're damn right they are. They're getting it from all sides. And that's why I have hope that we might actually be able to get this done. This is not a foregone conclusion. I can't tell you if we're gonna win the vote on MLK Day or not, but that should give us, that should uh, excite us, that should thrill us. We are in a moment where we don't know which path we're going to take towards more authoritarianism or truly pluralistic representative democracy. And it's gonna depend on what we do in this next week. And everybody's got a part to play. If you're in Arizona, it's clear what you got to do. But it's clear what you got to do if you're in New York or in your California, too. Mm -hmm. There is something for you to do. And I hope people are doing that. Well, this is like indivisible is I think it, it's one of the bright spots of the the last five, six horrific years. And it's it's because you guys you guys harness the, the thing that the thing that makes me feel okay when I feel the least okay is that there are more of us than there are of them. I say it all the time. What you guys did, you guys did was take, was that, take mantra that mantra and, take, and make it to be a group <laughs> and, and to show what the power was of the fact that that was true. Can you talk a little bit about the people who joined Indivisible, the, the people who read the blueprint, the people who started their own activist centers where they live? Because I, I think we're going to need everybody who did that and then a few more in the next 11 months before we get to the midterms. So, so I just, I just sort of want to unpack and demystify the barrier for entry here for people. Like yeah. how easy is it to become an organizer in your own area? It's, it, it sounds daunting, but, but how, what kind of support do they have? Gosh, it sounds so daunting, right? How do you, how do you wrap yeah. your arms around a, a generational struggle over the right to vote? Like, what do you <laughs> do about that? My God, it right. seems too big for anybody. And, you know, when I, when I go and speak to indivisible groups, uh, you know, what you find are um, lawyers and teachers and nurses and IT technicians and people who were never politically active before. What happened was, they witnessed a catastrophic event for their democracy, which they thought would never come to pass, which is Donald Trump getting elected, taking office and holding power. They thought something in the system would have prevented that. They looked around and they saw nothing actually sufficiently rising to the occasion to um, uh, prevent this man from um, doing what he intended to do to the country. And so they said, I guess I got to do something. And I'll never forget, I was a uh, 
interviewing uh, Indivisible group leaders for the book we wrote a couple of years ago and was talking to somebody in East Tennessee. And she said, what was I doing before 2016? Minding my own goddamn business. And I think that that's a pretty common response that I get from indivisible group leaders. These are not politicos. These aren't these aren't um, hyper partisan agitators. These are normal people. These are normal people who saw what was going wrong, saw that nobody was doing a sufficient job doing um, uh, the work we needed to do to push our elected officials to represent them. And so they stood up and said, "Okay, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll do it. And they raised their hand. They sent an email out. They got a few people over to their house or to a church basement or to a library, and they started having a meeting discussing the news of the day, saying, hey, who are our representatives? I guess we're going to call them. Just paying attention to what's happening and making sure their representatives knew that they were being watched. So it's really, really low barrier of entry. We've now got you know, actual professional state lead organizers all across the country, but their job isn't to knock on doors. Their job isn't to recruit individual members. Their job is to help our local leaders, the leaders of these thousands of indivisible groups, do as good a job as they possibly can do. So there is a support structure out there if people are interested. And I guarantee you, even if you don't want to start a group, there's a group in your area. It's easy to show up. Yeah. They're going to be having weekly or monthly meetings. It's easy to pop in and say, hey, I want to help. I don't know anything about this, but I want to help. There's something for you to do if you want to do that. I see just just giving people permission to show up and say, I don't know anything about this, but I want to help. I think that really helps. Like people, I, at least a lot of the people that I talk to, they feel like they have to have some level of expertise in a system before they offer their assistance which is nice and lovely and very good, especially in like racial justice groups. If you're a white person who wants to help, like just show up and sit down, you, you know, to do the things that they tell you to do. But like the permission to show up and say, I don't know anything, but I'm here to help. I think there are a lot of people who are listening right now who feel like they're in that boat. And, and hopefully that, that means that they're, they're less nervous about contacting some of these organizations and offering, offering their assistance. That's what we need. The only thing you have to have in order to participate in this fight is you got to live somewhere in this country. If you live somewhere in this country, you've got the expertise you need to have. Have you met a member of Congress? My God, you are qualified to push your member of Congress to represent you. Uh, I, I can't emphasize it enough. That And uh, what you said earlier, it's, it's always in the back of my mind. As scary as things are, as dark as the clouds are on the horizon, we still live in this representative democracy and there are still more of us than there are of them. So the only thing standing in between our way and the goals we seek to achieve is organizing. And organizing is a big, scary word and people don't yep. necessarily know what it means. It means showing up. It means asking questions. It means offering to help. And there are there's a way to do that, whether it's through Indivisible or another group on the ground, find a way to get engaged locally and just start helping. One of the things I learned really early on, and I always tell this story, is like my very first day volunteering for the Obama campaign in 2007, might have been seven, um, I, I arrive at the location and the person checking everyone in is this obviously a teenager. Like I'm post-college at this point, I'm 24 maybe. Um, and so it's, it's a girl who's, well, young woman who's 17. And she mentioned she won't even be able to she won't be old enough to vote in the election of 2008, but she's here working to register voters for Barack Obama in 2008. And I say to her rather naively and very earnestly, well, why are you here? Right. Cause I'm like, you can't vote. So I don't understand why you're here, why you're here. And she looks at me dead in the face and she says, well, I still have to live in the country. 
And I was like, I'm dumb. Like that was the moment where you're like, I am. <laughs> Let me just like disappear into the ground and disintegrate down. I'm just going to sink into the ground right now and disappear. Um, but I think I think I, that story is is refl- reflecting of the fact that just do what you can. And I mean, I think signal signal boost as as we sort of created it was inspired by this idea that if you paint, you paint, if you draw, you draw, if you can, you know, text you cook, you cook. people yep. to register to vote, do that. If you cook, bring it, bring food for the volunteers who are doing those other things. Like everybody can fit in to a movement doing what that thing that they do or that thing that they like to do. Um, but this does require all of us um, to pitch in in some way because the democracy is only as healthy you know, as all of us are participating in it. Um, and unfortunately, in this moment, we're being tested on every front because we're in the pandemic and everything is breaking down all at the same time. Probably it's all connected. We know that. Um, <laughs> but but what the powers on the sort of anti-democratic side want is for us to get tired and cynical and think that and nihilistic and think that we can't do anything about it. And that is not true. Their power is the illusion. Our power is real. Can you talk about how much more power even, um, you know, do, does that base have than, you know, when Indivisible was founded? Because I think that, you know, when, when you guys first launched, um, you know, it was in part, a, a re- reaction to the election of Donald Trump and, you know, sort of an organized resistance. But now it feels different, right? It's not a resistance to Trump per se, but a, a pro-democracy movement. I mean, w- talk about the energy that's present now and maybe how that's different than it was when you first started and and where we're going, because I feel like we all have a role to play, just like that 17 year old. Like, I have to live in the country, even if I can't vote. <laughs> I have to live here. <laughs> I, I love that mentality from the 17 year old. I, I think it's exactly right. And I think that's a realization that many, many people have thankfully had over the course of the last several years, which is regardless of what I can do in my own area, I got to live here so I got to figure out what I can do. And like you said, maybe I paint, maybe I can write a press release, maybe I can follow the news, maybe I can find out who who are the reporters that cover the members of Congress in my area, maybe I can uh, help bring food to a meeting, you know, what whatever it might be, maybe there's something I can do. You know, five years ago when we when we got started a little bit more, which is it's it's bonkers that it's been that long, and also it feels like it's a flash in the pan, but. Um, you know, we were putting this together with popsicle sticks and glue ourselves, you know, that's, that's all it was. It was just a volunteer effort. We never intended it to be anything more than that. Um, and the indivisible groups themselves and indivisible national as a, as a coordinating structure is, is really grown in sophistication over the course of the last five years. I mean, there are political powerhouses that have been built up by these IT technicians and nurses and doctors and lawyers, uh, and school teachers across the country now. Um, and they've been doing it by organizing, month in, month out, for now more than five years. There, there are groups that have been holding weekly meetings for five years. For five years, wow. they've been holding weekly meetings. Yeah. And that that is not, that's not to say that every single week there is something new and they get a ton of new members. The way organizing works is it is spiky. 
you'll have things that happen in the world. There's a new attack from Donald Trump on 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 immigrants, or there's an attack on healthcare, or there's an attempt to pass this tax bill, or there's an election. There are these new events, and I'm sorry to say this to y'all, but we're we're the weirdos here. We're paying attention to this oh, all the freaking time. We are mm-hmm. always paying attention to this. Not ninety percent of the country or more is is not focused on this as much as we are. But but. There are moments, there are moments where people do focus on it. Maybe something particularly egregious or something particularly good is coming up and they will lift their head. And the question that moment, when you get those folks who aren't part of your movement, the question that moment, when they lift, lift their head, do they have a place to go? Do they have a way to get engaged? Are they able to actually go to a meeting, participate in an action, start actually climbing the ladder of engagement where they might start with a meeting then they start making calls. Then they'll go to their congressional office. Hell, then they might even run for office. Who knows where it goes? But the question is, is there a structure to reach out to them in that moment when they lift their head? And I think that's been um, uh, to the real benefit of indivisible groups across the country over these last five years, because there's been a lot of bad stuff that's happened. There's been a lot of moments where people have lifted their heads and said, oh my gosh, I don't know about everything before, but this is too much. I've got- And you guys were ready to catch them. You were ready to catch them. You had a place to put that energy. It is like, like this is like indivisible was exactly what we needed in this moment. And I hope that people listening understand that this week is one of those moments. The voting rights vote on next Monday, like that is as important as any election that we're having. So if you've got just a couple hours this week that you know you're going to devote to doom scrolling and worrying, devote it to this instead. Go to indivisible.org, find an organization in your area or start one make a couple phone calls, send a couple texts, join an in-person event. Um, there's literally nothing important, more important to do this week. Ezra Levin, thank you so much for all of your work. I wish you uh, Godspeed and, and good rest on Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. We're all in this together. We're going to get it done. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 